there are two quotes that I really love from this book. And one of them is, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. All right, what was the second quote? Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but if the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. And if that's the structure of your life, then it, it takes all of the decision and choice out of it. I like this format, and I like the person that we're talking with today. Rebecca Griffith is no stranger to the show. She is the EDDPT. She's talking all over the country. I'm not sure where she even is right now when we're recording because she was all over the country. Um, she loves reading. We actually had a book club going on like during COVID, a virtual book club. Um, and if you know anything about me, uh, getting me to sit down and agree to do something like book clubs, not easy. So Rebecca helped me organize that and do that for a little while. So she loves books. I love books. I buy books. Sometimes I read books, but I definitely buy books. And we thought it would be cool to share a six pack episode of books that we both dig and that we thought you would dig. So this isn't so much a book club. This is more like the reading rainbow version of a book club. Remember reading rainbow? Why isn't that a thing again? Maybe we should make it a thing. Maybe we are making it a thing. Maybe this is the thing. So anyway, the idea is Rebecca brought three books to the table, and I brought three books to the table, and then we just talked about it. We didn't know what books each other was going to be uh, uh, pitching to each other. And the premise was books that would be beneficial for PTs. And obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but we didn't come at this with like continuing education. These are not traditional PT books. I'm using air quotes on a podcast. Um, but these are books that, and of course, you're going to see people's biases showing right through. Mine, you're, it's, I mean, I'm telegraphing my pitches from a mile away. But he pitches three, I pitch three. We talk about the book, what we got out of it. And, uh, and you're going to like her picks. You're going to like my picks, probably more. Uh, but hers are great, too. No, I'm just kidding. Hers are great. Mine are great. And they're both great. Everybody's great. Everybody's great. Everybody gets a trophy. So uh, that's the format of the episode. We just kind of lay out these books. And then in the show notes of the episode, if you want to buy the books, I'm not sure how to endorse a book more than putting it on this list of books. I'm like, yeah, these, these books are dope. So we're going to have the uh, the books in the show notes. So uh, check those things out. Want to say thanks to our sponsors from Physiotech. Hey, boost your clinic's revenue by 290 bucks per patient every quarter with Physiotech's remote therapeutic monitoring. That's not a little bit. It's a lot. It's very valuable. I don't just mean revenue, but enhanced patient outcomes, ease provider workload, and turbocharge your earnings. Hit them at physiotech.ca. That's physiotech.ca. Where can your PT license take you? Uh, embark on an extraordinary patient care adventure with jacksontherapy.com. Perfect for PTs who want to make their mark. Discover where your skills can take you at jacksontherapy.com. Dot com And uh, thanks to our friends from MW Therapy, all-in-one outpatient PT EMR, experience seamless integration of patient portals, marketing automation, and billing all at an unbeatable value. Switching over your EMR is a breeze at mwtherapy.com. Without further ado, uh, let's get to this six-pack episode with Rebecca Griffith. Hyped up with the hyped up intro right there. Rebecca Griffith, the EDDPT, is back on the show. Rebecca, from the mile-high state of Colorado, welcome back to the program. Thank you. You have some news coming out of Colorado that you didn't know I was going to bring up. Isn't there some news? Colorado, APTA, Colorado. Well, APTA, Colorado, what do you want to know? Didn't you win some award recently? 
Oh, that was an AOMPT award, but oh, thank you. Yeah. To me, it's all, you know, it's people. It's all PTs. So to me, it's all whatever. Yeah. So I won the Innovation Award from the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. And like, who, does someone nominate you? How does one win this award? Yeah. So I was nominated by one of my colleagues here in Colorado who is a private practice owner. He's never really worked with me clinically before, but just has kind of observed what, what I've done from far. That's kind of cool. And then you Fair. went to where? Where was the reception of the award? Where did you stand there with the statue? It was at in St. Louis, right next to the big arch. Right next to the big arch. Big arch. Uh, well, congratulations for being innovative. We want to do something innovative today. We're taking a different uh, approach. It's some of the older episodes. Some of the older episodes reflect my personality a, a little too much, which is let's turn microphones on, talk, and see what happens. This we're being a little more structured, but there is space for still who the hell knows what is about to happen. So today we're doing a six-pack episode on books that we think are valuable for people, but specifically for PTs, but also non-specifically for people. That's at least what I'm taking this as. So we're gonna go back and forth. So since you're the guest, you're gonna go first. So you're just gonna tell people about the book and like why a physical therapist should read it, what they would get out of it, uh, and whatever the heck else you wanna talk about the book. I think that's totally amazing because I am a complete book nerd. And so yeah. this is my this is my jam. All I'm right, so what, is, what is first? My first book is Together by Vivek Murthy, who is our former Surgeon General. Mm -hmm. Former, right. current, former. Okay. And the book is, the full title of the book is Together, Why Social Connection Holds the Key to Better Health, Higher Performance, and Greater Happiness. And so the premise of this book is he talks a little bit about this epidemic of loneliness that we have. And I think as a PT in the ED, one thing that I see with my patients is how lonely so many of them are, how social support only goes so far, if you have social support and when patients don't have connection, their physical and mental health really suffers. Yeah. So I think it's a fascinating look at, at how we can improve our connection to people as patient care providers. Yeah. Uh, so I we don't know each other's books before we start this, but I did read this one. So great. So I, I approve of this one. Um, and I took away from this book uh, something about men because I'm a man. And he said something along the lines of, we figured out that women will talk to each other, men talk next to each other. And what he meant by that was, is like, women can go together and just like, hey, we're just going to go get lunch and we're going to talk to each other, face each other, have a glass of wine, don't have a glass of wine, whatever. And they'll talk to each other. Men don't do that. And I was like, that's true. But what we do we do? He said they talk next to each other. So he talked about this like use case, and I think it was in Australia where they built these like these like workshops because they had all these older adult guys who were retired and sitting around doing nothing. So they were like, but they all knew stuff, right? Yeah. And the stuff that they knew was valuable and the stuff they knew how to do was valuable. So they built these these like sort of like tool rooms in this town. And they were like, oh, Mrs. Johnson's, you know, washing machine is broken. And they're like, well, could you help? And they're like, yeah, no problem. I'm retired, but I'll give four hours a week to this. And what they found was guys were together next to each other working on a thing that they were more apt to talk to each other, open up and create what you're talking about is what we're lacking is the social connection. So it was like, oh, you should pay attention to how your audience communicates and then set them up for success. So they built these, these little tool rooms in these small towns and they were like, it got people off their couch because if there's not a reason, they're not going to get together. But not every reason works for every person. So this was Correct. that was something that I took away from uh, Vivek Marti's uh, book. I thought it was a very good book. 
I totally agree. And I think one of the things that they talk about too is just that lack of community. Yeah. Makes you feel very isolated oh. and like you don't know how to get help and also you might not even realize that you need help or know what to do next. And when uh, and when people ask and I've gone through this in the last 18 20 something months, which is like a lot of people will say, "What can I do for you?" right? And most of the time we say nothing or I'm good, but thank you. And even when you do know, and is speaking for myself, even when you do need help, the problem is you don't necessarily know what you need. If I don't know what I need, I might be yeah. the worst person to ask. So asking me, so I believe in this book, or maybe I'm pulling this from somewhere else. Uh, this is why I never really understood this as a kid, but funerals or when someone is sick, people just send food. And it's like, why do they do that? It's like, because I know you're going to need it. We're going to have to eat. I know your focus is somewhere else. So you have reduced time and, and limited focus. So that's why a lot of times you can't ask the drowning person what they need. They don't know. They, they have no idea what they actually need. So sometimes, uh, you know, say asking that question is sort of counterproductive or it's not very productive. I agree. And I think the last thing that I would add just from a physical therapist perspective is so many of my patients never have anybody touch them. Hmm. And that's it's also a form of loneliness, right? Like the last time you went to see your physician, did they actually touch you? Did they do a physical exam? Did they use any therapeutic touch? And so I have so many patients that are like, you're the first person who's touched me in six months. We, that's it's 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 crazy to think about. It, it's crazy to think about but you should think about it. So that's a good book. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't want to just move on and, and step. No, no. Okay. It's, it's a great one. That's a good book. We'll put the, uh, by the way, we'll have the link for all the books in the show notes and the, and the whatnot. So my first, I brought the books. So this is show and tell if you're watching the YouTube video. So well, I give my books away. So <laughs> I hoard them because I like to look at them. No, I think of them as gifts. You got to like, oh, especially cool. if you love the book, right? Like you got to pass that on. So all it right. goes on to like, ripple through the world. Thanks for making me feel guilty. This one is yeah, called Building a Story Brand. It's by this guy named Donald mm -hmm. Miller. And it's a great one. I went so far as to, I read this book and then he has online courses because everybody and their mom is an online course, right? Teach. Mm -hmm. And I went and got who I was working for a couple of years ago to pay for the course because I was like, this is legit. It will, it, and it was not a scam. It will a hundred percent helped me help work. It was definitely continuing education. So Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. He's a really great speaker. It's sort of this it's it's a it says a revolutionary approach in one of the reviews, but I didn't th I think it's actually super not revolutionary. I think it's super basic. And the idea here is it's built around branding and marketing, but branding and marketing are about sending a message from a person to a person. So it's about communication, right? So the idea is, let me ask you a question on the spot. Have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Yes. Do you understand the movie? All right. Rudy wants to be a football player at Notre Dame, yada, yada, all the trials and tribulations. Eventually, he makes his way. I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's like, you know, 25 years old. What did Rudy go to Notre Dame? What was his major? Do you remember what his major was? No idea. Yeah, they don't mention it. And the reason they don't mention it is it's not an important part of the story. So what Donald Miller does is he shows you when you're telling a story, a patient story, any of these things, there are certain components, like a hero needs to have a challenge. There needs to be... A, a, a chance of failure. So this is known as the hero's arc or the hero's tale. So if you dissect any great hero movies, Rocky, Rudy, any of these things, My Cousin Vinny, doesn't sound like there's a hero. I just story. watched that. Just on TV the other day. I was watching it too. The two youths. But the idea there is there needs to be a villain. There's got to be a thing that he's searching for. And My Cousin Vinny, it's this. And if you can't identify, and then he went so far as to say, if you can't identify who the hero is, right? what they're searching for, what they're trying to accomplish, 
and the stress, why it matters if he fails in the first three minutes, you're never that movie is going to flop at the box office. It's going to flop no matter where you do. So the reason this book, I'm putting this on there for PTs is if you have a great practice, if you're super smart, but nobody understands it, it's like reading the greatest song that no one is ever going to listen to. So this shows you, look, it's hiding this hero's journey, how to build a story brand instead of a brand story, which can be like marketing jargon. But the idea there is you can use this formula. In PTs, we took physics and chemistry. We love math and science and formulas. This breaks this down. And it's like, look, once you once you sort of read this book, any movie or campaign you look at afterwards, it's like learning the gate cycle. You can't not see it. You're like, oh. And I have to say, I have to finish. The number one reason, the, the one takeaway, if you learn nothing else from me talking about the book, if you're like, I'm never going to read it, Here's what I want you to know from Miller. Whenever you are telling a story, and trust me, you're always telling a story, whether you think you are or not. This is patient communication, anything. Position the person reading, listening to, or watching the story, put them as the hero. You are the guide. So that is another one of the, the, the points in the hero's journey is without Yoda, Luke wouldn't have been nothing. Without Marissa Tomei's character, I forget her character's name, my cousin Vinny wouldn't have been nothing, right? So it, without uh, The Rock, the, 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 the guy who's the groundskeeper, Rudy wouldn't have been nothing. So in any great hero story, there's always a guide. There's always this Yoda. And this is why, this is the crucial piece of why it's important. If I sit here and tell you a story about how great I am, you don't know where you fit in that story, right? So you're like, okay, cool. So that's awesome, Jimmy. That's a great story, but I'm not sure how you can help me become the better version of what I want to be. Luke wants to go. He wants to know where he's from. He wants to become a Jedi, right? Rudy wants to become a Notre Dame player. So it's like, I can see you have to be able to put yourself. That's why people cheer for Rudy and Luke. It's like, I seem, I, I'm like that. I want to become something. So now when you go to create a campaign or tell a story or communicate, maybe you talk less about your certifications because Yoda never had to brag about how old he was or how many people he had vanquished with lightsabers. Never really did that. But he gave Luke enough space. And when it, when Luke talked about what he wanted, that's when Yoda pushed back. So the idea here, the one takeaway message, if you're like, I'm never going to read that, but it sounds cute, Jimmy. The one takeaway message I would say is be the guide, not the hero. Let them, whoever them is, be the hero. So that is Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. I'll give it two thumbs up. So... After I add that to the cart, click yeah. add to cart. Good one. I would say that what I took away from what you're saying too is that if you're the guide, you don't have to tell anybody that they know. Correct. It's sort of like when I scored my first goal in you know high school hockey, I celebrated like I just won the World Series and my coach pulled me aside and he just said, act like you've been there before. And I still remember that because I was celebrating a little too hard, but I was genuinely excited. But he's like, I get it. Teaching moment. Act like you've been there before. But think about that. The super smart people never brag about themselves it's like oh yeah that is true it's like it's not an accident we look at them that yeah, way yeah I, I had had that conversation with my son his goal is to be the the fastest freshman on varsity cross country team he wanted to be the best on the team and he won a couple races and he was like pretty proud of himself and he was like telling everybody that he was the best in that race but then he got humbled pretty quickly after that a couple of times mm -hmm. and, and i said here's the thing kiddo like when you're the best, everyone knows. Right. You don't have to tell anyone that. So if I am the right guide for you, I feel like that should just be in the way that I've framed the story. And 
this is going to be your path. Correct. And you don't even need to see my role in that because ideally I've carried you that whole way and you didn't even notice that. So as a PT, I'm hoping to pull my patients along with me that way. I did a, a short little reel a couple of weeks ago where I shared uh, the number one cliche that we've uh, been all lied to, right? The cliche was from Roosevelt, which it says, um, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? That's the cliche. Yep. And I actually think it's bull because I don't think people really care how much you know or they, they honestly don't care how much you care unless they see that you know and care and understand their problems. So I go, their problems. their problems. Talk to me about me. It's the sexiest thing I'll ever hear in my life. And that's what Miller is saying is like, you can craft a story in which you are in it. I'm just telling you, if you are, if you are the hero in that story, you're the bragger. But if you put yeah. me as like, I have helped, this is why if you see someone's like Instagram bio and like, I will, I, I have helped, 10, 000, my goal was to help 10,000 freshmen become the fastest cross-country runners on their team. That person instantly just said, oh, if that is your problem, you're like, yeah, this is the cross-country sensei. I need, this is the person I'm looking. You, these are the droids you're looking for, right? So like position yourself. So this is a book about marketing, but this really is a book about stories. And we know that PT is a transformation story. Like it is. If it's not, you're doing it wrong. Right. So this, but the transformation story is always about them. Make sure it's about them. Help them craft their story literally and figure, figuratively and literally. That's one way that I talk to people about how I manage, like not getting too burnt out by patients, how I manage my um, like attachment to patients is I imagine that I am a guest star in their Perfect. episode. I'm not a series regular because I work in the ED. And so I think of it as this is the episode with Rebecca Griffith and I give them the very best that I can. And then we seal that episode and they move on. I've given them the best value I could for that small arc of their life. And then they move forward. So I love this. All right. So that's my book, Building Story Brand. What is your second book, Rebecca Griffith? My second book is Atomic Habits. And okay. I'm going to tell you why. I know this is popular and I am not this kind of person. I do read a lot of nonfiction. I am a pretty type A human. I like to think that I'm like live this structured life, but I talk to people a lot about burnout. Yeah. And one thing that I hear from a lot of people, physical therapists, students, parents who are feeling burned out is I don't have any time to do what I want to do for myself. And so they're like missing that life workflow in their life. I don't talk about work-life balance, life workflow. You want those things to flow together so that everything's flowing smoothly. And this book really helps outline a structured way to do that. And it makes it like you're not a failure because you can't get all these things done. Your systems are failing you. Right. So it really talks about setting your life up for success so that you have all the components of your life are non-negotiable. And those structures, those routines serve you and make you more free, if that makes sense. It does. I, again, we didn't coordinate these books, but I read this one as well. And two things stuck out to me. One, because this is by James Clear, correct? James Clear. And this yep. was what you know. This was one of those books that's all over, like you know, business Twitter and stuff like that. But I jumped on the bandwagon. I did read it, and it was a great book. You added to cart. Two things that I remembered about this was one, he suggested like this is a habit building. So he. I think it was him or a client he worked with would suggest if you want to start going to the gym and you're not going, that the first seven days, the client wake up at five in the morning, drive to the gym, touch the doorknob, and then go to work. Didn't go in the gym. And I was like, he's like, I know this seems insane, but the goal is to build a habit of doing this. 
So if this is also a person who has repeatedly tried to start a gym program of going to the gym before work every day and has failed 20 different ways, he's like, I need you to just go. And then it was go touch one workout piece of equipment and go home or go to work. And then it was go and spend 15 minutes working out and leave. And it's like, but you're already there. And this is what, this is what I took from that, which is you're building the habit. If it was easy enough for you to build, you wouldn't have been working with that person or reading that book, but you're yep. building the habit and a habit can come about or should come about over repetition. And the second thing I learned about uh, habit building, uh, I am blanking on the second. Well, there's like 50 things you learn from that book. Um, but it was, oh, 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 I remember this one. This one was counterintuitive. And I think he prefaced the chapter or whatever he said it was by counterintuitive. When we say, we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. He said that if we sit around and say, I'll wait until things slow down to start something, mm. what you're saying is when things get busy, this is going to go out. Yep. So I'm dating myself right now when I say there's a movie with Sean Connery called The Hunt for Red October. Oh. It was a sub, a submarine, Russian submarine captain. It was a Tom Clancy novel. And on the submarine, remember the scene? The Russian subs, Sean Connery, oh, Sean Connery, is in charge. But he's Russian, so he didn't have that accent. Uh, <laughs> they have a fire on a submarine. A real, like a, this was an emergency. Sean Connery then takes the initiative. He runs a drill at the same time. So he puts a drill. It's like, imagine your house is on fire and you're going to do a practice drill about how to start your lawnmower at the same time. And he's demanding that both of these, it's like you handle the fire and then run this other drill. And what he was saying in that, he's like, this is going to happen. Not, it's like, because the next time there's a fire, we might be under torpedo fire. And I need yes. you to react. Not everything goes to the fire. Sometimes we have to do different things. So I took those two things. When I was reading James Clear, I was like, oh, if I wait for when it's sunny outside to start running again, then the minute it gets cloudy or rainy, I'm going to quit. Or the minute yep. I'm not, you know, I'll wait till my schedule clears to before I start in this habit. He's like, no. He's like, this needs to be a part of everything. So there was some juice in that. It wasn't just a bestseller fad. It was a really good book. Uh, yeah. And I think there are, there are two quotes that I really love from this book. And one of them is, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. All right. Say that again. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. Yeah, where you are is where you are. But if you're not pointed somewhere, um, I don't think this was in the book, but I like the quote, and this comes from a personal uh, personal life experience, which is, you can always question my direction, but never my speed. Like, I'm always moving. But like you may be like, hey, we're not going in the right direction right now. We're not going the right trajectory, but I can move it there, right? All right, what was the second quote? The second one is... Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. And how they used that in the book was, I want to be a healthy person. Right. So what I need to do is start having each of my behaviors be like that of a healthy person. Oh, yeah. So he said, I just asked myself, what would a healthy person do? Yep. He and then I started voting for myself each time I made a decision based on who I wanted to be until I became that person. He also talked about language, which is like, it, and it yeah. goes to like back to a, a, a line from Seth Godin, who's a business writer. And the line from Seth Godin is like, people like us do things like this. It's like people who are yes. Louboutins dress a certain way, act a certain way, you know, right? So the idea was I am an athlete. And the minute you do that, this is why like triathletes 
can't wait to tell you about their next triathlon. And I can say, you know, cause they're annoying. I can say that because I am a triathlete, but it's like, because it's part of your persona and you can't yes. just kind of do healthy stuff and expect it to stick or expect it to be part of your life. So I liked how, yeah, I remember that the, the upvoting of sort of like the Reddit of your life, which is like, what are you upvoting? And the way you upvote in your life is you do those things. Exactly. And if that's the structure of your life, then it, it takes all of the decision and choice out of it really. Mm -hmm. Right. And Let's it makes see. it easier. Yeah. So your life workflow becomes easier. And I think that's what more PTs need in this like busy society that we have. We need it to be easy. We need our life to be easy. Yeah. And we need to have the structure. We need those habits. We need our own health and wellness to come ahead. So I'll end that discussion with a quote from Aristotle that I just had to look up and is Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And that is a, that's how he, he must have included that somewhere in the book. If he wrote a book of called Atomic Habits. I can't remember. I'm sure you must have. All right. All right. So that is your second book. My second book is probably something off the radar a little bit because it was really pitched to journalists. And obviously, I'm showing my bias here, like coming at communication with my first two picks. But this book was not really a bestseller. I mean, it's sold pretty well, but really for journalists. And it's called Talk to Me, How to Ask Better Questions get better answers, and interview anyone like a pro. It's by Dean Nelson, who is the director of a journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University. And I wrote him an email after I read this book. And I was like, dude, your book is great. And uh, I think it can help healthcare professionals. And he was like, thank you. So Dean Nelson was a journalist. Now he's a professor. Just gives this guide on conducting impactful interviews. And like you've heard this phrase before, which is like, you know, crap in, crap out. Like ask crappy questions, get crappy answers. Like that's true. So this thing covers everything preparing for an interview. Now his spin on it is, you know, TV, radio, newspaper. It is traditional. But man, did you did you have any formal training on how to ask questions in PT school? Was there anything formally done? No, I think there was like a list of things that yes. you needed to ask. Yes. And, and even within my health system, right? Like you have to ask these questions. Right. How many stairs do they have? Right. Right. Can they stay on the main floor? Right. But if you ask better questions, I'm not saying don't ask, don't get the that information. But what you ask, how you ask, when you ask, right, can be important. If you're asking a really, I mean, you're in the ED, right? And if so you have limited time. If you're asking a really personal question as the first thing, do you think that person's gonna be warm enough to answer you honestly? I want to go with it depends on if it's the right question. Right, right, right. But my, my point is like, when is a very important question too? And reading, how do you read the audience? You know, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll share a podcast uh, behind the scenes tip is if I jump on, if I'm in person or if I'm, you know, recording via Zoom and I sense the person I'm talking to is nervous, I will lie. And I lie with, I've just got to set up, hang on a second, these microphones, I got to restart my, my mixing board and this microphone, hang on, I'm like, and while I'm doing that, I am now asking that person mundane, ridiculous, just normal questions. I need them to get the butterflies out or just to warm it up. So I'll be like, oh, just fixing my camera here. Meanwhile, I'm warming them up because I'm like, how was your weekend, right? That's a super ambiguous, I'm not going to get a great answer out of that, but that's okay, I'm not recording yet. My goal is I need the person to like be comfortable with me and because I don't know if they're ever going to get comfortable because we're doing a weird thing. This is still this interview thing. It's still a weird thing, right? And it's still weird when you do it with healthcare providers, right? Because a lot of times you're like, oh, I want to answer right. Or if I say this, they're going to think this. It's still a human on the other side uh, of the interview. So talk to me 
how to ask better questions, get better answers, and interview anybody like a pro. I honestly believe, and this is where a lot of my, lot of my classmates freaked out because I think it was in ortho is where we did the subjective exam was like part of the, the curriculum. That was the first time in PT school. And I remember thinking I had younger classmates and they were like, how do we memorize these questions? And I was like, why are we memorizing mm -hmm. questions? Well, how do I know what to ask second? I go, how about you wait to hear the answer of the first question? Because that's... <laughs> And they were, and it was because most of my classmates went through school and were doing the academic thing, which is memorize the list because my goal is to get a good grade on my test. And I remember I was like, no, 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 young. I, now I get to like bring part of my former life into PT school. I'm like, oh my God, no, this is a great opportunity to find out a ton of stuff. And my first clinical rotation, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I was told like, you got to shorten that up. And I wanted to be like, but I don't know enough. How do you know? I didn't. You're asking me to evaluate this patient, and I'm telling you I don't know enough yet, so I want to ask more questions. Nah, nah, nah. You'll just, you know what it is from as soon as you read the diagnosis. And I'm like, I thought we made the diagnosis. I was under, I was under that impression that I was a, a, a doctor of physical therapy. So if if something like this is in your program or wasn't something like this, it's a thick. It looks like a thick book, but it was a super fast read. You're all interviewers. You are all interviewers. That's what I want you to, I mean, you have to understand that. And if you're not getting better at it, you're getting worse. So we're interviewers and we're salespeople. Well, both of those things are communicators. For sure. Totally. Both of those things are communicators. And I think you're absolutely right that when we don't, when we just have a list of questions, we miss the person in front of us. Yeah. Because when you ask questions and you look at the person while they're responding, you read that body language as well. Like there's so much that comes from that. Huge. And if you can get it eye level sitting next to the patient, I like to, I hold people's hands a lot when I ask them questions. And so they know that I'm listening, I'm engaged. I'm not just asking them a standard list of questions because everyone else that's come in the room has done that. So I think absolutely pro tip. I'm going to have to add that one to the when, cart as when, well. When, cl when clinicians do this and for the, you know, for the podcast audience, I'm like fake typing in the keyboard and they're not even looking at the person. And then they like look over 45 degrees. For the, what was the next one? Okay. And they're just, so all I'm doing is talking to you and all you're doing is playing with the computer. It's like, okay, so not eye contact. And uh, we're big, dumb animals. And we have a brain that is wired for conversation, not presentation. And if you're a list of questions is a presentation, listening, active listening, motivational interviewing, all those things, that is an active participation. You will get better answers and get better results in my, in my opinion. So that is my second book. What is and true curiosity. I'm going to yeah. add that. Okay. What's your number three? All right, my number three, and and if you've ever heard me on a podcast or like teaching a class, like you know what I'm going to say, it's upstream. Oh yeah, we did a book quest on this. to solve problems before they happen by Dan Heath. Because I, when I stay up in the middle of the night and I worry about the future of the profession of physical therapy and where we're going and what we're doing, I think about this concept of being upstream in healthcare, and that's the space where I think we could potentially have the most value, but we're participating the least in yeah why do you think that is why are, why do we, I, why are we participating the least not why it's valuable i it's to me it's very clear anyway why it's valuable i think because the way that our payer-centered healthcare system is set up it's very hard to prove that what you did caused something to not happen no versus <laughs> reacting to an issue is tangible it's yeah. visible it, it's you know I mean, it, it's easier to 
attribute. It's easier to receive payment for. Right. It's easier to sell people on. Like, Jimmy, if you actively have this problem and I'm like, hey, I can fix that problem, you're going to be like, perfect. You're exactly who I need. I'm going to be your guide, just like we talked about. But if you're like going along and you feel pretty good and you don't feel like you have any problems and I'm like, look, I can keep it this way. Right. You're going to be like, no, I'm doing fine on my own. So I think it's hard. It's hard. But I think we're going to get to the point where if we don't start doing more upstream, we're going to have even bigger healthcare crisis than we have because all those downstream problems come streaming into the emergency yeah, department. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this was the book. I think we read the book like a year, year and a half ago. It was instead of just continually pulling people out of the river, I want to go upstream to figure out why they're falling in in the first place. Absolutely. And that was sort of, and he, of course, told, he used stories to illustrate all of his points of, of times when people went further upstream and figured it out. Was one of them, was one of them Zappos or one of them was like an online retailer? Yes. And their mm -hmm. issue was simply like that they would keep getting sent to the wrong customer service place and they just fix that with one click right right i think yes i i i think it was okay so we get so many the more we sell the more complaints we get because you know a percentage of things have issues and their solution had always been hire more people to answer the phones and finally some dude from out of the company came in and was like what if we gave everybody the opportunity to fix it themselves like what if we spent time effort and money to build like an app or a portal and then they were like well would that work? And then the thing, the complaints went down like 90 something percent. So it was like, get work yes. upstream. Why are these things breaking? Well, they're going to break. Okay, well, how do we fix them? Put more people on phones. Okay, what if we could do a different thing? And everybody was happier and uh, the complaints went down. And so everything was smoother. Yeah. And that sp speaks to a different part of the book, which really talks about problem blindness. When you can't see the problem, you can't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think PTs are actually pretty good at looking at patients and being like, I know you're here for like an ankle sprain and this is like your eighth ankle sprain. Why don't we figure out like why you're having that same problem? And perhaps we do a different approach. And I see patients like in this, in, like this in the ED who have seen an ENT, a neurologist, a cardiologist, a, you know, like they've seen everybody. And nobody can see the whole person and the problems that might be contributing to that when, in fact, all they needed was a vestibular physical therapist. Right. So it's it's crazy to me that if we don't have this upstream mindset, it's really hard for us to see where the problems in our profession are and figure out ways to solve them before they continue. So I'm gonna, I asked you before, why do you think that is? And you mentioned the, the system, right? So it is. It's hard. Number one, it's hard to picture. It's hard to tell that story. Although I'll tell you, do you know who... Do you know who um, does tell the story um, uh, of preventing something or 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 um, or I'm Googling while I'm doing this? Uh, Dean Winter. OK, yeah. So they sell prevention. It's an insurance company. And I'm thinking of a particular ad campaign. And the ad campaign is all based around mayhem. And it's all state. Uh. Yeah. So th what they did was Dean Winters is the actor. You've seen the commercials. He's like, hi, yep. I'm the limb that you didn't cut over your driveway. And everything's fine until one day it gets windy and then smash. So what they did was they personified the thing that could happen. And that is yes. the way to make, well, in marketing or in communications, we would say that's a way to make the invisible visible. 
right? So it's like, like they're telling a story with that too. Telling a story, right? So other examples- That you can see yourself in. Right, the other example of like making, <laughs> so it's, it's great in marketing and communications to make the invisible visible or the visible invisible. And what I mean by that is, uh, invisible visible would be like, uh, there's this restaurant chain called Carabas. Uh, it's like regional, mm. but I know there's one in South Carolina we used to go to and they had no walls around their kitchen. It's an open kitchen. While you're sitting there, you can see them cooking. They went and made the invisible visible. And then the visible to invisible is when you can hide things. Apple is very good at that. Like when you get an Apple product, it's just there. There's, I mean, jobs didn't even want a button like on, on things. So there are the, these different tactics to making the thing not there. So you said the system, I will then also say 50% on physical therapists. We yep. go along to get along. Yes. I will say the ones that do go upstream and solve those problems and figure out a way to communicate value will win. Yes. The people they help will win, but those people who can do that will win big. And here's why. Because no one's doing it. It is very, yep. it's very lonely upstream right now because no one's doing it. And again, not to just keep referring to social media content that I just created, but I created a reel based on a book that I was reading. And in there, they had like a little story where Nike sent two execs to Africa 25 years ago. And they said, figure out if how many, if we can sell sneakers to Africa, we need to expand a new market. And they both went and they both sent back two different messages. The first one said, uh, big problem, not good. Nobody here wears sneakers. We're in Africa, where I landed. Nobody here wears sneakers. Same guy, same place, same mission said, hey, big opportunity. No one here wears sneakers. So I would say slap that on the upstream uh, um, uh, model and say like, well, PT, PTs don't do upstream. And I would say jackpot, baby. Jackpot. No one's doing it. Competition's super yes. low. This is like you buying keywords on Google 30 years ago for four cents and now they're whatever. It's like you can own an entire industry. Not now, because now everybody's figured it out. So right now, upstream is real lonely. That smells, <laughs> smells like opportunity to me. And I would say it's a mindset. Yes. You can practice upstream, even if you're at the downstreamy of the downstreamiest places, just like in the ED. Or just sit around down at the bottom and wait wait till something floats your way. And I, that way, hope, hope it does. And hope's not a plan, man. And hope you don't get tired treading water at the bottom. Ooh, look at all these stories we're telling. All right, my third and final book. Yours was upstream, and you said if you're on a podcast, you mention that, or you ask people, people ask, and that's what you answer. Mine is going to be the same. If you listen to this podcast, I will. I am smashing this book. Can I guess? You. Yes. It's the hostage negotiating yeah, book. It is. Yes. So I read very <laughs> few books more than once, and I take. I don't take notes, but if you're looking at the live stream. I've got post-it notes and things are outlined and underlined and highlighted. So the book is called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. And I bought this book when I was looking for a new job because I just said, I want to learn how to negotiate. It's a skill, right? I've never learned how to do it. So I was looking at it in the traditional sense of negotiation because it is listed as a business book. Yes. It's not a business book. It's an entire mindset communication book. So I fell into this book for one reason, but I love it for another. So yes, so the author, Chris Voss, is a former FBI, former hostage negotiator for the FBI, right? And he's self-proclaimed like, ah, I'm just a dude from New York. I'm just a street guy. And I'm not this Harvard educated. I don't have a degree in psychology. But he uses all these psycho proven psychological techniques. Fun part about the book, just to sell the book, is every chapter is a different lesson 
like most books, but every chapter in his book starts off with a story. And this dude's work stories are pretty exciting. It's like, okay, so there we are, this bank robbery. And this, so this person, you know, has got these hostages. And he talks about why he named the book that way. Never split the difference. Because if Rebecca, if you were, you know, you were hiring me and I was, I was said, listen, I want $100,000. And you're like, I can pay you 80. Because we're altruistic PTs, we'd be like, all right, let's just split the difference. I want 100, you want 80. Let's just settle on 90. We'll call it a day. And he would go to work and the bank robber would have 10 hostages. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Be like, hey, man, you got 10 hostages. Why don't you give me five? You keep you keep and kill five and we'll call it a day and everybody's happy. Like, of course not. Like, no. So he's like, right. why not take this? Why not take that mindset to every aspect of your life? Which is like splitting the mm -hmm. difference is a tactic that people who want to get you to go low will use. And he mentions that in the book. So this book isn't about hostage negotiation. It's about humans communicating with humans. It really is. And one line that I actually think I took from the book, but I've looked and I actually Googled and Googled. He didn't say it. I think I might've just made up a quote from Chris Voss in my head based on me just thinking about this book so much. And here's what I made up. I think every conversation is a negotiation for information. And then you can like, well, every, because when you say ever or every or never, like that's supposed to be the red flag, but it doesn't matter professionally, personally, you're either you're there to negotiate to give and get information. This is a this was the basis of a relationship. And that's what he was trying to build on the phone with with bank robbers or people holding people, you know, kidnapped and hostage. And he's like, I need to figure out a way to build a relationship with a person that I'm probably not in front of over the phone. They're in the highest stress of their life. He's like, yeah, no, no pressure on me having a bad day. But he's like, these are the skills and tactics that we use. So I'll just briefly give it because again, it's this is like a tactical manual. I key, I read this every couple months. I'll just pick a chapter and read it because it is one of those things where the more you use it, the better you get skill, right? And some of these are subtle, but they're it's like, oh yeah, I could have used that that tool. So he uses things like tactical empathy, which sounds like such a position, like a, like an oxymoron, like tactical is supposed to be like super aggressive and empathy is supposed to be heartfelt. And he's like, no, tactical means planned or like being thoughtful, but he uses tactical em empathy mirroring. We've heard of that one before, right? Like when you notice people at barbecues and they're standing across from each other and they're folded arms, you fold your arms and He's, I mean, he's, he can cite the research that they've done at, you know, Harvard or Yale or whatever on where this stuff comes from. So tactical empathy, mirroring and labeling. This one's, in, this one I use, Ooh. labeling is this. So if we're talking and tensions are high, right, Rebecca, right. if I say something like, well, you, you just don't like this. What I've done is, this is how I visualize it, is I've just made this a dead end road where I just told you how it was. And if that's not how you, because I just I just told you how you felt, and we don't like that, especially if it's not accurate. So if I just said, well, you don't you don't even like this idea. This is my idea, and you're and you're you don't like it because it's my idea, and you're jealous. That might not be true, and even sort of if it is, there's no out. It's a dead end road. What he suggests anyway is more open ended, and labeling would be Rebecca. It sounds it sounds like or it sounds as if. You don't like this because it maybe it didn't come from you. And I've given you an out. I've given, because my goal was not to shut it down. I'm not the closer here. The goal was to get you to keep talking. I mean, he'll talk. He's like, people would listen to me at work and be like, the hostage uh, taker is doing more talking than Chris over here. He's like, yeah, 
That's the point. If you're talking with someone in a clinical setting and they're talking more than you, I don't, there's no scoreboard and who's winning. It feels for me, that sounds just from the from a zoomed out position like a better conversation because this is about them, right? Because there's right. an often cited statistic, I think it's 45 or 47 seconds or something when the average person in a clinical interaction gets interrupted by their you know, treating physician. I think it was a, a study on physicians. Seven seconds. Is it seven? I thought it was like, I was giving people credit. Seven seconds? No, I'm pretty sure it's seven seconds. Yeah, it's like, what are you here for? Well, my knee hurts. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. And I'll, yeah. I often- How many stairs do you have? Right. How many stairs? Like, where's my list of quiet? Well, how many things do I need to put in the uh, EMR? Which thing? I got to click, click, click. Oh, terrible. How many stairs do you have? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry it took you six months before you thought this was important enough or you got around to it or you had the resources to come to see a healthcare provider. And then it took you three months to book the appointment once you decided. And then you had to wait in the, in the, in the lobby for another, an extra hour because we're backed up. And then you got in front of me and you interrupted me in how long? Seven seconds. That's like a bull ride. Yeah. So anyway, this book, dollar for dollar, ounce for ounce, page for page, in my mind, gives the biggest bang for buck. I'm presenting at CSM as well. I'm presenting to researchers in the research track, which is insane because I'm not a researcher. What? But to me, there's a story there. There's a ton of stories. And what is the point of research? It's to get people to see and use the research. Is it to talk about how great of a researcher you are? Spoiler, it's not. So can you use these tips and tactics to of all the three books that i had in terms of upping your communication game so yes so uh emp a tactical empathy mirroring labeling active listening emo having or gaining emotional intelligence crucial for effective communication and it's not necessarily negotiation for hostages i know that's a high stakes thing and it is a cool way to set up a book but the, every conversation is a negotiation for information be a better information negotiator chris voss teaches you how to do this. He's also on Masterclass. Have you ever heard of Masterclass? Yeah. Like a subscription service where like, you, you know, Gordon Ramsay will teach you how to cook and, you know, Serena Williams will teach you how to play tennis. He does a, a business communications sort of uh, on Masterclass. And again, I wish I had a promo code. That'd be great. Check out the promo code in the link. I don't have one. But it would be great because it's like you pay one price and you get access to all of those masters. But he has one and his voice is this gravelly, sounds like a radio DJ. He actually has one of his tips or one of his tricks is when to use, he calls it a late night FM radio voice. It's when things, it's when things are going real quick and what I really need you to do is I want you to slow down because I think we're getting off track. And he's using- Jimmy, this, this was supposed to be about like books for physical therapists, but this sounds like a parenting book. Well, it's because you're, you're <laughs> parenting a human. Yes, and it's always a negotiation. Like okay, I'm not going to lie, though. I didn't like this book. Really? Oh, yeah, you said that. Why didn't you like it? And I can't, at this moment, now that I'm like totally wrapped into your story, like I can't really remember why I didn't like I it. I you saying that you shocked like, by that. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up my book review on it because you like I really- book reviews? Yeah. I'm dumbfounded when I read a book. Never mind write a review on it, a book report on it. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm jealous. I do not have that. I'm not saying they're fancy. They're like I tweet length, but it helps me remember what I read and what I liked about it, what I didn't I like. I would love to know, because I've also heard a quote too, which is you never read the same book twice. It's like you never stand in the same river twice because the, it's moved. Yes. So I would love to see if you read this again or just tried the first two, three chapters again and be like, huh, I'm looking at this differently now. 
I think I, I think what I'll do is I think I'm going to listen to it. Oh, he, if you're going to listen to an audiobook, this dude is it. He's just got, he's and get a different perspective because what I'm hearing from you is that he's a big fan of therapeutic Alliance, exactly. establishing that quickly and effectively. Exactly. He uses patient centered conversation and he sees the goal because when we're talking about goals with our patients, like I just had foot surgery. I don't want my physical therapist to split the difference on my goals. Right. Correct. I want to run. I want to do Taekwondo. I don't want you to be like, well, you have to choose one. Correct. Or how about you just be happy if you can walk around the grocery store? Like, I don't want that. Yeah. I want somebody who's not going to split the difference. I want to negotiate to get what I want. And I, and I think that that's, it's going to be a book that I'm going to revisit. I feel like if you combined never split the difference in atomic habits, you would be a well-armed human being for creating habits. Unstoppable. You'd be unstoppable. All right. So those are our six books at the moment. I'm sure if we do this episode in like two months, we'd have six more books because I have a whole shelf of books. You have, you are running out of books because you keep giving books away as presents. I have a whole shelf. I have a, like a Barnes and Noble in my bedroom. I have a whole shelf of books to re to be read. And I, you know, it's like shopping every day. I love it. All right. So we wrap up every episode with uh, something we like to call the parting shot. This is the parting shot. So just pick something you already said as your parting shot. What's like the last thing you'd want to leave with people? Mic drop moment or soapbox statement. How can you connect with your patients to make sure that they're not lonely? You're there. They need it. I think that's it. There's a good yeah. chance they need it. And like Robin Williams said, you know, everybody you meet is fighting a battle you can't see. When all else fails, be kind. And have you ever spent time with somebody that makes you feel even lonelier? Have I ever? Wait, have I ever? Have I ever yes. Cold people make you feel lonelier. I'll be honest. Living in New York City, it's a very busy city, but I felt lonely. When I yeah. So don't be that person as a healthcare provider that makes your person feel lonelier yeah. and more disconnected than when they came in. All right. My parting shot is every conversation is a negotiation for information. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. Com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.